Several years ago, when I was uh, in seminary as a student, I had a Christian psychiatrist by the name of Dr. Paul Meyer as a professor for some of the classes that I took. And in one particular class, Dr. Meyer shared with us uh, his personal experiment that he performed on himself when he was in medical school. And as a medical student, he went down to the lab uh, one day, I guess when not too many people were around, and he took his own uh, throat culture and he examined it however they examine it, under microscopes or, or whatever they do. and uh, To his surprise, he found out that uh, he had uh, some cold germs brewing and some flu germs and some strep throat germs and germs representing other uh, diseases. And the reason he was so surprised is that he felt very healthy. Uh, he looked his normal self. He wasn't feeling bad, had not been sick recently, didn't plan on being sick soon. But after this experiment, he wasn't sure. <laughs> and that story has always uh, stuck with me uh, because it, it illustrates to me a little bit uh, of any particular local church. Uh, we at, at Cole uh, are a, a healthy body, at least we look healthy, um, but there isn't any local church which is perfect. And some are very easy to recognize that they have... Uh, some faults, and some others are, are harder to recognize because things seem to be going well. And I think that's how we look at ourselves, is that things are, are going well, and so we wouldn't consider ourselves uh, as not being healthy. But I do think that we have uh, a germ floating around. If we were to take our throat culture, we would see this germ, which is as common to, the, to any local body as the common cold germ is to the human body. And that germ is the lack of service germ. Uh, it's been accurately estimated uh, throughout churches across the country without any uh, particular church being looked at that about 20% of the body of a congregation do in the neighborhood of 80% of the work, 80% of the ministries that go on. And uh, many of you may remember the ex-football coach Bud Wilkinson of the University of Oklahoma had great success there for years, was on the President's Council for Physical Fitness, and one day someone asked uh, Coach Wilkinson and, and asked, Coach, what, what is it, or how would you describe a football game? And he says, well, I see a football game as 22 players desperately needing rest, and thousands of spectators in the stand desperately needing activity, desperately needing to get involved. And that struck me as another description of the local church. But why is it that way? Why is it that so few people seem to be involved in doing the work of service to the body of Christ, in expanding the kingdom of God? And as I've thought on this, uh, actually over the years, just this last week is when I put it down in black and white, I've been able to uh, come up with several reasons, I think, that we need to look at. The first one, I believe, is that we don't have an accurate view, as Christians, we don't have an accurate view of what God really wants from us. We're familiar with the word sacrifice. Uh, we seem to, to give of ourselves from time to time. We're familiar with Old Testament sacrifice. But when it comes down to personal sacrifice, we usually think of it in terms as, whatever I have extra lying around that's been in the garage for a while or in the closet, 
that I can give up that really doesn't affect my comfort zone too much. And that's, that's kind of how we, in general, look at sacrifice. But the Bible looks at sacrifice in a different way, if it's going to be pleasing to God. Open with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I'll be reading this morning from the uh, J.B. Phillips translation, so it will sound somewhat different from yours if it's not the Phillips translation. This is the Apostle Paul as he writes uh, to the Roman church, the Christians in Rome. He says, With eyes wide open to the mercies of God, I beg you, my brothers, as an act of intelligent worship, to give your bodies as a living sacrifice, consecrated to him and acceptable by him. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold, but let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove in practice that the plan of God for you is good, meets all his demands, and moves towards the goal of maturity. Paul is trying to tell the Christians in Rome, and he's also telling us, that what God wants is us. He's not interested in dead sacrifices. He wants living sacrifices. Things that, that uh, breathe, things that move, things that can accomplish his will. That's the kind of sacrifice that God's looking for in each one of us. He wants us to give our bodies, our mind, our will, our emotions, all of that over to him. God wants all of us. And Paul says that's not a foolish thing to do. He describes that as an intelligent act of worship. In other words, if we were tuned in and awake to the kind of sacrifice that God wants, we would think this to be the the reasonable, practical, expected sacrifice to make. It would make perfect sense to us. But what does God, God have? What can we give him that he doesn't already have? About the only thing we can give him that he doesn't already have is us. This isn't really a new concept or a new, just a New Testament concept. I think God had this in mind from the very beginning of creation, that we should be giving ourselves to him as a sacrifice. And Old Testament characters talk about this, David in particular, in the Psalms, and in one in Psalm 40, David writes, Sacrifice and meal offering thou hast not desired. My ears thou hast opened. Burnt offering and sin offering thou hast not required. Then I said, Behold, I come in the scroll of the book. It is written about me. I delight to do thy will. O my God, thy law is written in my heart. David recognizes that God isn't that concerned about sacrifice and meal offering. The point there of my ears thou hast opened, I've been told is an idiom for obedience, that what he wants is us. You see, God is not so nearly concerned in what we have as he is in having us. Because if God has us, then he has what we have. He guides where we go, what we do, how we think. He has all of us. 
So the first thing we need to realize is what God really expects from us. He expects a sacrifice. We can be sure of that. We just need to get comfortable with the fact that the sacrifice he expects is you and me. All of us. And as we give ourselves to God as a living sacrifice, God gives us spiritual gifts so that we can go out and accomplish his purposes. And that's the second point that I think we, we don't fully understand or accept, is that each one of us within this body are spiritually gifted by God. In other words, if we know God, if we're a Christian, God has indeed gifted us. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 to look at that. Paul has been writing to the Corinthians to discuss some problems that are going on in that church. And he comes to chapter 12. And in the first three verses, he says he wants to impart some spiritual information to them. He reminds them of the way they used to worship, worshiping dumb idols as opposed to worshiping the living God. And then he tells them the way they can uh, discern who is a Christian and who is not is the way they respond to the person of Jesus Christ. If a person says that Jesus is accursed, is an anathema, he's saying that person really isn't a Christian. But if a person can say that Jesus Christ is his personal Lord, he has a proper view of who Jesus Christ is and therefore is a Christian. Then he goes on in the rest of the chapter to talk about <clears throat> what the body of Christ is and how it functions. Men have different gifts but it is the same Spirit who gives them. There are different ways of serving God, but it is the same Lord who is served. God works through different men in different ways, but it is the same God who achieves His purposes through them all. Each man is given his gift by the Spirit that he may use it for the common good. Then Paul goes on to list some spiritual gifts in 8, 9, and 10. And then in verse 11 again, he says, Behind all these gifts is the operation of the same Spirit who distributes to each individual man as he wills. Really to each person, each Christian. We have an interruption here. Uh, okay. Margie Jones. Apparently you have a sick little boy and you're needed in the foyer. Margie Jones. We'll all close our eyes so we won't <laughs> won't see. That's not going to work. So we can see from Paul's writing to the Corinthians that each of us, as individuals, are gifted people. That God has given us something very precious. You know, oftentimes we tend to disregard gifts, either because of the gift itself, we say, well, it's, it's, it's inconsequential, it doesn't really matter, or we're not too enamored with the person who gave it to us, so we disregard the gift. But with God, we can't do that. See, when a gift comes from God... We need to recognize, first of all, where it comes from. It comes from God, and we can't just throw it away. We can't disregard it. 
And the second point is realizing what kind of a gift it is. It's a gift that God wants us to have in order that he may carry out his purposes here on earth through us. So we need to realize that we're all gifted people. Now, I don't want us to get hung up on the idea that we all of a sudden need to go out and try to hunt up what our spiritual gift is. I'm not aware of places that command us to find our spiritual gift. I'm aware of places that command us to serve the body. And as we get involved in serving the body, then we begin to discover the gifts that God has given to us. The two are really related. If we serve, then we begin to discover the places that we like to serve, and those usually coincide with our gifts. When I came uh, to Boise, Idaho th- about three years ago, I was asked, uh, Terry, what are your spiritual gifts? And I kind of went, I'd be able to be about that, that, that. I really wasn't sure. I'd been a Christian for several years. I just finished four years of seminary. Certainly I should know something. I knew what the gifts were, but I hadn't had the opportunities to, to serve in a variety of places to know what my particular gifts or gift was. Then all of a sudden, <clears throat> Steve Newman got the notion to go to Singapore. And one of his responsibilities was administration, overseeing the nooks and crannies at Cole Church. And David came up to me and said, Terry, uh, I think that you'd be a great replacement for Steve to do all the administration. I went, Sure. But several other people also had the same idea in mind. I didn't know that 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 was particularly my gift. But enough people around me said, yeah, I think you're the one that ought to replace Steve. And so I said, okay, even though I'm not overjoyed about overseeing a building program and all the other kinds of things that, that that job entails, I'll do that. Because God has gifted me to serve the body in that way. It doesn't mean I always like doing it, but I'm willing to do it because that's God's place for me in this particular body. Now, along with the idea of spiritual gifts, I think we do not understand what the body of Christ is universally, or locally, and how it's functioned, how it's designed to function by God. So the universal body is are all the Christians in the world. On a worldwide perspective, if you put us all together, we make up the universal body of Christ. Those of us who are sitting in this room this morning that uh, continually fellowship at Cole Community Church, we're all part of the local body of Christ, identified as Cole Community Church, and there are other local bodies around in Boise, Idaho. And as a local body, we're to be a microcosm of the body at large. God has designed us to function the same way that he he has the whole body, the universal body, in mind, in functioning. So we need to have an understanding of of what are we to be doing. Well, again, we go to the scriptures, and let's look at verse 7 again in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Each man is given his gift by the Spirit that he may use it For the common good. The idea of the common good. The idea of the body. See, God has given us some gifts so that we can function in a body 
altogether. That's his design, is that we would function one member along with another in the gifts that he has gifted us for the common good. That's our desire here at Cole Church. Not that, that a few people would do all the work that's necessary to be done, or not that a, we want to brainwash you so that we don't have to do all the work that we should do. No, we want to follow God's plan because that's the best plan. And God's plan is that we all work together for the common good. If that makes sense to him, then that needs to make sense to us. We do not want Cole Church to function with any kind of handicap or disability. The Apostle Paul has made a very graphic illustration for us with the body, the human body. Uh, I put that in there in this uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 31, for you to meditate on this morning to get the idea of what the body of Christ is like. You see, we can all identify with what a human body looks like because we're all dressed in a human body. We know how it should function. For the most part, we all have two arms, two legs, two eyes, two ears, a nose, a mouth, da 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 da, da. We know what it would be like if we were to lose an arm a leg. We can imagine, perhaps, what that would be like. Some of us really do know what that's like. We realize that we don't function the way that God originally designed us to function. We get along okay, but we're not functioning the way that God wants us to be functioning. So Paul gives us the illustration of the human body when he talks about the spiritual body of Christ. Now, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I don't belong to the body, does that alter the fact that the foot is a part of the body? Or if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I don't belong to the body, does that mean that the ear really is no part of the body? After all, if the body were all one eye, for example, where would be the sense of hearing? Or if it were all one ear, where would be the sense of smell? But God has arranged all the parts in one body according to his design. See, God has done all this with his design in mind. The Apostle Paul wanted the Ephesians to be aware of this, the same concept, and so he wrote a letter to them. In Ephesians chapter 4, we can pick up what he has to say on this topic. In verse uh, 11, His gifts unto men were varied. Some he made his messengers, some prophets, some preachers of the gospel. To some he gave the power to guide and teach his people. His gifts were made that Christians might be properly equipped for their service. That the whole body might be built up until the time comes in the unity of common faith and common knowledge of the Son of God. We arrive at real maturity. That measure of development which is meant by the fullness of Christ. Jumping down to verse 16, For it is from the head that the whole body as a harmonious structure knit together by the joints with which it is provided grows by the proper functioning of individual parts to its full maturity in love. Are you getting the picture now of what God has designed in mind that we are all individual parts meant to be functioning together in order for the whole body of Christ to be functioning as it should, in order for Cole Community Church to be functioning as it should. God has placed various people in this body, not just the pastoral staff, but other people, to equip you 
the saints to do the work of service. That's what Paul says in Ephesians. The purpose of some of us are to equip the saints to do the work of service. We're to teach you, to guide you, to encourage you, to nurture you, so that you can get involved in ministry. Then Paul, again in Romans uh, 12, sums this this idea up in verses 3 through 5. As your spiritual teacher, I give you this piece of advice to each one of you. Don't cherish exaggerated ideas of yourself or your importance, but try to have a sane estimate of your capabilities by the light of the faith that God has given to you all. For just as you have many members in one physical body, and those members differ in their functions, so we, though many in number, compose one body in Christ and all are all members of one another. So we need to have a proper understanding of the function, the design of the local body, what God has designed us to do. See, we are a sacrifice to God, then God has gifted us, and God has a design how that sacrifice and those gifts should work together so that we can be caring about His purposes here on earth. We can be fulfilling what He wants us to do. We can be meeting the needs of the ministries that are available to us. As you can tell by now, I've been harping on the idea of serving, exhorting us to think along those modes. But I don't want to uh, damage your focus with the idea that I just want you to be involved in a formal ministry that takes about two hours out of your week, each week. Because if I were to do that, that would be leading you astray. What God really wants is for each of us to have a lifestyle of service. Not just a formal ministry, though it's good to have a formal ministry. It's good to fulfill those needs. It's good for us in developing our own individual maturity as a Christian to have a formal ministry. But more important than that is to have a lifestyle of service. Because if we're involved in serving others as a lifestyle, then God, again, has all of us. He has the whole of each of us. And he can direct us to wherever he wants us to go. If we've given ourselves up to God and we're serving people as a lifestyle, he just moves us around to serve in different areas. And that helps us not to have the mentality of just paying our dues. Of just saying, well, I need to serve a couple of months here and then I can take the rest of the year off. It also keeps us from having emotional and physical burnout because we're not functioning in our own strength we're to be functioning in God's strength if we're trying to push out a ministry a couple hours a week in our own power it just doesn't make it if we're going to function in a ministry that requires two to ten hours a week we've got to have God's strength working within us or we will burn out see God's interested in us having a lifestyle of service. And he's given us his life as an example. In Mark 10, 45, 
you'll all be familiar with these words. Jesus said, For I came not to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. His lifestyle was one of serving. Wherever he was, it was one of serving. The hymn we sang this morning, you've only got one life to give to God. You know, each moment needs to be redeemed, serving God. And there are numerous examples here in Cole Church of serving God. And as I thought through that this week, one came to my mind above the others, I think because of the length of service. And this person has, has been here for more years than most of us, serving in an area that most of us uh, would not even consider. We'd be uh, afraid, scared to death to get involved in serving in this ministry. And yet this person in, in this ministry has touched hundreds, if not thousands, of children throughout the years of service and touched probably hundreds of parents. And the children that she has touched have grown up. She's been in service that long. The children she has touched have grown up to where they're having children. And because she taught these kids how to love God, they're now parents and they're teaching their children to love God. That's the kind of ministry that God wants us to have, one that continually carries on. And Wilma Jensen is, is that example to all of us. And there are numerous other people here that we can look to that have been serving faithfully, behind the scenes, without financial reward, week after week, just plugging along because they've caught sight of what God wants them to do. That brings me to my fifth point, which is the will of God. Do we often uh, understand the will of God? Usually we are walking around in a fog of decisions, trying to discern uh, the will of God magically or mystically. We come out of our house and we look up in the sky and... God? Oh, God, could you get some writing up there, please? I need to know what's going on, what I'm supposed to do. Kind of like the plane flying around the fair yesterday, you know, it was advertising, some photo finishing. You know, we go out and we look for, for some sky writing. Or else we, uh, some of us, sleep a lot. We figure if we sleep, we'll get the dreams. If we get the right dream, we'll know what to do. So we spend a lot, a lot of you sleep, I see. Some of us, you know, the outdoor nature type, we go out and we sit underneath the tree or by the stream and meditate, waiting for that still, small voice to come and tell us what the will of God is. You know, we do some very unusual and strange things in trying to discern the will of God. And as I look at my own life, I realize that most of those times are when I have to make decisions uh, that I'm either uncertain about or uncomfortable about. In other words... I don't have any problem making a decision to go fishing, to go hunting, to go shopping, uh, take a vacation, to go out to dinner, to a movie, uh, to go to wild waters, water skiing. No, no problem. I know God's will. Do it. <laughs> you know, if, it, if it's something that I enjoy, if it feels good... You know, just do it. I just assume that's what God wants me to do. You know, it only comes to those times when it's somebody asks me to do something and I'm not too excited to do that I go, wait a minute, 
Call me in about three or four days. I've got to pray about this. Uh, I'm not sure if that's God's will for me, so I'll need to I'll need to consider that over some time. You know, when somebody calls you to go to Wild Waters, you don't say, "I'll pray about it for three minutes." You know, you just do it. So we often use God's will as an escape, as a cop out. We think we're not sure. So we hide behind it. Have you ever heard a conversation like this? Hey, I think you'd be a great teacher. No, 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 not me. No, I don't have the gift of teaching, especially nine and ten-year-olds. Nope, no, no. How do you know? You ever done it? Nope, nope, no, I just know. Just, just know. Couldn't be me. Or, I, I'd give, but, but I just don't have the gift of giving. But I'd give if I had it. Or help? No, 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 no. Love to help you, but that's just not, not my area. That's just not my bag. No, no, I, I don't want to help. You know, those are the kinds of responses that we make from time to time. And my point is this, with respect to the will of God. If you're uncertain this morning about the will of God for you with respect to the body of Christ, relax. Relax. I can tell you what the will of God is. Serve. Serve the body of Christ. I don't have to think that up. It's here in black and white. We've read it this morning. There's no doubt about what the will of God is. And all we need to do is begin to look for places to get involved. We don't have to sit and think about it. There are ample opportunities to get involved in service for the body of Christ. Some people are serving outside cold church and ministries, and that's great. Keep it up. There are all kinds of opportunities here, though, which need service, which need help, and we can be involved in. See, if we take the will of God seriously, and I hope we do, if we take obedience to God seriously, and I hope we do, then we can respond in part and obey in part by serving the body of Christ. That's what the will of God is, is serving the body of Christ. Now, those are five general reasons that we all need to consider, need to be informed about, I think. But as I thought about this, this idea, this germ of lack of serving this week, I came across some individual day-to-day type things that, uh, that I thought of. This list is neither long nor exhaustive. But I want to share it with you to stimulate your thinking where you're at. You may have some things that you might be able to add to this list. Misplaced priorities deceive us from serving God. See, all of us live by a set of priorities, whether we realize it or not. Most of us have two sets of priorities. Those that we wish we did, or we think that we do, and those that we really do do. And you're looking at me, huh? Well, let me give you... Uh, hopefully a clear example. Most of us as Christians, if we were asked by another Christian to say, what's your top priority? The will of God. To know God. To spend time with God. You know, it's like a computer. We automatically know that. We're trained from knee high to say, spending time with God, developing my relationship with God is my number one priority. Okay? So then we begin to chart out a day, a week, a month, 
And all of a sudden we begin to see, hmm, boy, if I'm supposed to be spending time with God, that's my number one priority. How come it's not reflected in what I'm doing? In either consistency or in quality or, or length of time. And I think we've all struggled with that. I struggle with that in my own relationship with God. Having to come back to the basics. Having to come back and evaluate my priorities and say, I'm not living by what I think I should be. You know, we find that our priorities of recreation, of materialism, of relaxation, they begin to become our number one priority. They begin to crowd out that relationship with God. You know, again, when Nancy and I... Uh, came to Cole Community Church out of seminary. I had been a student for, I'm ashamed to say how many years, starting at age 6 and ending at age 28, something like that. Uh, My dad was proud of me. I finally got a job, grew up. (laughs) But uh, being a student is a pretty easy life. You know, if you get your homework done on time, your weekends are your own. And so all of a sudden we're coming into a church ministry with responsibilities every Sunday, and we're going, "Uh uh-oh, no more weekends. They're gone. And I grew up in a family that uh, we went skiing when the snow hit the ground. Boy, we were on it all winter long. I water skied in the summer, did all kinds of things. Nancy's family uh, did the same type of thing. The weekends were available, uh, even though they went to church a lot more regularly than I did. They were committed Christians and, and uh, believed in serving and, and did serve, but the weekends were mostly open to them. For us to come here, all of a sudden, been a change in thinking. And it's been a lot easier for me than it's, than it's been for Nancy, I guess because I'm involved in doing something on Sundays that keeps me busy. You know, but she is not, and she still has all those memories of, of 18 years or whatever of what their family did together on weekends. And it's been a a hard adjustment for But we have to say, where are our priorities? What are we supposed to be doing? Fear paralyzes us from serving God. Fear of ourselves. Fear of a situation, of a ministry. Fear of commitment. We're afraid we're going to botch it. We're afraid it's going to X out some time that we don't want to make available. We're afraid, and so that fear paralyzes us. A low view of God distorts our desire to serve. See, we don't think God is worthy to be served. We don't have an accurate view of who God is. We treat Him like our next-door buddy, forgetting that God is the potter and we are the clay. He's the Lord, we're the servants. He's designed us to serve him. He didn't design himself to serve us. You know, that we are the Lord's and he is the servant. We need to get that straight. We need to have a high view of God. That he is an awesome creator. He not only asks us to serve us, he to serve him. He demands that we serve him. That's part of his game plan. A distorted view of God's plan blinds our thinking towards service. So we think, well, God doesn't really need me. I mean, God's a big God. What does he need me for? I'm just a little guy. I can pray about it, and I'll pray a couple of times. 
But God can handle it. You know, there are two angels in heaven that were talking one time, looking down on earth, and they saw all these people down there, and, and uh, one of the angels was explaining to the other one that all these people down there were designed by God to carry out his purposes for his, his will to accomplish what he wanted to accomplish on earth, to glorify himself. And the second angel looked at the first one and, and said, Are you sure that's right? And he said, Yeah, yeah, God told me that's, that's right. I know that's right. The second angel looked back at him and said, What's plan B? You see, we need to realize there is no plan B. We are it. We are the ones God has chosen to carry out his purposes. There's no one else. We're it. There's no other plan. We are the plan. Laziness or hedonism robs us of the opportunity to serve God. There's no excuse for being lazy. There's a cure for it, and that's to recognize our responsibility before God and move out to fulfill that responsibility. Some people have never seriously considered serving in the body of Christ. Some people just haven't heard that that's God's design. Some people have never heard of Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4. And that's a legitimate excuse. If you haven't heard, then how can you be expected to serve in the body of Christ? So some people just don't know that that's what God wants us to do. Well, that's fine until you're informed. So as of now, consider that all of you have been properly informed. Service is the word. A low view of ourselves imprisons us from service. We think... Everything we touch turns to stone. I'm no good. I've failed at everything I've done. People have always told me I can't do anything right. You know, low self-esteem is a sin. We need to recognize that. It's a sin. It needs to be dealt with. Because it doesn't have an accurate view of who we are as children of God. And it doesn't give us an accurate view of who God is. The fact that God has created us. The fact that God has gifted us. The fact that God empowers us to do what he wants us to do. Not knowing our abilities or our, our gifts handcuff us from reaching out. I'm not saying that we need to go on a mad pursuit to find out what our gifts are, what our abilities are. That's not commanded. It's commanded that we serve. It's helpful if we know what those abilities are, what gifts we have, because it makes it easier to plug into the right spot within the body. But God doesn't say you have to be so mature, you have to have served or been a Christian X number of years. He just says, if you're a Christian, you need to be available to me to serve in my body to help accomplish what I want to accomplish. Now, it wouldn't be right to... Uh, give you all this information without giving you uh, some places that you could immediately jump into to offer yourselves as a living sacrifice uh, throughout the coming weeks and months. So I just want to run a bunch of possibilities by you, more than any one person could possibly serve in. First of all, there's the children's ministries. You know, we have the Sunday school ministry going on, for which I guarantee... Anyone who gets involved in that ministry will learn more than the children that are in that ministry. 
I guarantee it. If you get involved in teaching in Sunday school, you're going to learn and grow more than the children you're teaching. I see some heads out there going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, there's Awanas and Pioneer Clubs waiting to begin, but we don't have the personnel to carry them out. So we'd like to expand the children's ministries, but we can't do it. Chris can't do everything on his own. He's equipping you all to do the work of service. There's the women's fellowship with the hospitality, uh, Bible studies, prayer groups, uh, ministries. I can't begin to, to name them all. They have so many that are going on. Growth group leaders and hosts for growth groups. Brian talked about that this morning. Uh, the men's fellowship. The Salt Company for Singles, Forum for the College Group, uh, Missions Needs, Helping Peter up in Stanley, Helping us help our missionaries here at home, The Care Corps, headed up by Bob Millencipher to meet immediate specific needs of people, Youth Ministries for Junior High and Senior High. We're always looking for more able, capable bodies to get involved. And there are all kinds of ministries other than these to be involved with. These are just a few, just scratching the surface. But uh, what I want you to begin to see is that there are plenty of ministries to be involved in. We have not maxed out yet, and that God wants you involved in the work of service. Three books that I will give you the names of to help spur you on in your thinking. Ray Stedman, his book Body Life. A uh, more contemporary, uh, popular book is Improving Your Serve by Charles Swindoll. Then another book that you may not know much about by Gary Inrig, I-N-R-I-G, called Life in His Body. And they talk about how the body is designed to function and what our responsibility is in serving. Each of us have different living situations. You know, for myself and for Nancy, we have three preschool children at home. It's hard for her to do uh, a whole lot of service. She tries to plug in with me wherever she can. Some of you have situations like that. Some of you have much more time on your hands to get involved. Each situation is different. But we're not to be comparing ourselves with each other. We're to re be responding to our Lord, the Jesus Christ the Christ. We respond to him, to what he wants us to do, not compare ourselves with each other as the ministries we're involved in. And there are 20% of us out there who need to say, hey, I've got enough ministry, I'm up to here in ministry. Don't take on any more. 20% of you, you know, just forget what I've said this morning. You're, you're already plugged in. 80% of us need to reconsider our priorities, where we're at, what we really want to do with our lives, how we can be serving God. See, going back to Bud Wilkinson's definition of a football game, there are 20% of us at Cole Church desperately needing rest. There are 80% of us here desperately needing activity, desperately needing to get involved. Football was designed to have spectators people in the grandstand cheering them on. God did not design the body of Christ that way. The body of Christ was designed that each individual would be a participant 
not a spectator. No sitting on the sidelines watching the action go by. That's not the design of that game. And although I think Cole Church is healthy, I love this church, I love being here. I think we're healthy in a lot of ways. But if we take a throat culture, there are a few diseases that show up. And one of them is that germ, the lack of serving. And I hope you'll all take that to heart uh, personally and look at your own life and say, gee, am I part of that germ, the lack of serving? Am I handicapping the body at coal? Am I part of the disability of the body at coal? Let's stand as we close. Father, we thank you for your word to us. I thank you that these are your words, not my words. This is your will. This is not my will. These are things that you would like to have us do. As we've heard your word this morning, I pray that each of us would consider before you what it means to be a sacrifice, what it means to serve the body of Christ. We thank you that you love us so much that you've gifted us, you've given us your spirit to empower us to be able to do whatever you want us to do. Amen.